0: There. If you're a Bible, you turn to Matthew chapter 7 as we kind of continue our Masterclass series today and we're going to take a break. Next week, we start the month of August. I'm going to start a sermon called Raise the Standard, which is going to be our vision series for the year that I believe is vitally important, not just for chapel, but the capital C church. I believe God has given me a word to kind of just give to the entire church. But Matthew chapter 7, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, tattoos were a big deal. Like if you got a tattoo, your family disowned you. Uh, I had a, a girlfriend her She got a tattoo at 14 in the back of a van at the city park, and her parents never knew because she wore socks for the next four years of her life. Now kids, RJ asks me, he's like, Dad, can I, get a, can I get a tattoo? I'm like, no. He's like, other kids are 16 and 15 and have tattoos. I'm like, yeah, but we still parent. people. Everybody else may have given up. We're still going to try to at least parent you. But so growing up, there's tattoos everywhere. So I have two tattoos I got before I was 18 because I was one of those kids that didn't have parents. And I remember there was three tattoos that I thought were the stupidest tattoos ever. One, I was in the Air Force, and one of my buddies was a Golden Gloves boxer in Texas. And he would never let us see this tattoo. And one day he went to get it covered up. And he got it cover up. The tattoo was so big, his arm looked like it was just one big black bruise from the cover-up tattoo. And so he showed us a picture of what the tattoo was. And it was this bumblebee with his huge boxing gloves. and he said, Stingin' Steve Bocanegra on top of it. <laughs> then I did young adult ministry, and I found one worse. There was a guy, tattoos everywhere. He got saved through young adult ministry. And on the inside of his leg, he had this tattoo that, when I tell you this, is the dumbest, ugliest tattoo I've ever seen. It was a carrot with feet and hands, and it was angry like this. And I said, i got to know the story behind this stupid tattoo. Like, what's the story? He says, man, I just hung out of this tattoo shop, and this guy said, man, if you let me, I'll pay for a tattoo, but I get to pick what it is. And I was like, and you agreed to that? He says, man, I don't care. I said, look at me. He had tattoos everywhere. I was like, yeah, but you have an angry cat. Then there's a guy who had Philippians 419 on his ribcage. The only problem is most tattoo artists aren't what you would call biblical scholars. And so he had Philippians 419, but Philippians was spelled wrong. But the dumbest tattoo I think of all, if you'll you'll throw that tattoo up there real quick, is this. Only God can judge me. Well, Bobby, why is that so stupid? Because the only people that get that tattoo, believe me, do not want God to judge them. Like the people that get this tattoo are the people that are living their lives in such a way, they should be the last one to say, you can't judge me, but God can. Believe me, He will. And it just goes to our culture. Like if you ask people their, their favorite verses in church, you'll hear Jeremiah 29:11. You'll hear John three sixteen, But when you get into the world, you'll hear Judges 7, 1. Judge not. Don't judge me. Doesn't the Bible say, don't judge me? And so this scripture, what the problem is, is when the world says, don't judge me or judge not, they just look at those two first words and forget the next six verses. And so I want to unpack this today in a way that helps you One, understand what Jesus is really saying. So Matthew chapter seven, verse one says this. Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured against you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice a log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, First. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then verse 6, he says this, a weird statement to kind of close it. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Very interesting that many of us can quote the first two words, but many of us can't quote the next six words. Verses, And it's vitally important to understand what Jesus is saying here and what he's not saying. So one thing that's very clear that is misunderstood is Jesus here is not saying not to have moral judgment or discernment. He's not saying there's no standard or truth or no one can say what is right and wrong. Because he spent the next three and a half years of his ministry literally telling people the difference between right and wrong. He literally met his ministry. You see in Matthew chapter 7, in the next few verses, he says, you must judge teachers and prophets by their fruit. Some are false prophets, some are real. That's pretty judgmental. Then he says the way is narrow, meaning there's judgment there. Then you go through the rest of the scriptures. He's judging. John 7 says this. It says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Quote, unquote, in red. John the Baptist called out Herod. Paul called out sin. Jesus continually called out sin in the Pharisees and the religious people. So Jesus couldn't possibly be meaning, say, don't say anything about sin. He couldn't possibly be meaning, saying, don't have any moral judgment. He couldn't possibly be saying, you don't have any discernment. He couldn't possibly be saying, don't say anything to people when they're going the wrong direction. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul actually says it this way. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before unrighteous before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to even judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? He is literally telling us that we are given a stature in heaven to judge morality within the church and to keep a standard of truth in the world that, yes, we're going to judge the world at the end of time, but we're also going to judge angels. Do you realize that? You are higher on the throne than Judge Judy. Judge Judy has nothing on you. Right? So so how could Jesus be saying, judge not"? And then say, but you also are given a a calling almost to judge. And what Jesus is trying to hit here is not a matter of judgment. It's a matter of condemnation. And what he's really saying is, it's not about moral capacities or truth or lies. What he's saying is, do not have a spirit behind what you say that is critical and condemning of the people around you. He's speaking to the Pharisees who put themselves on the throne or the judgment seat of Christ to begin judging and condemning everybody else around them. And we all know there's a difference between telling somebody what they're doing is going the wrong direction and a critical judgmental spirit. And I, I would say that there's not many of us in that middle ground who understand the calling it is to not be judgmental, but to also stand on truth. Many of us either have a judgmental critical spirit, We're continually condemning and criticizing. We're judgmental. Or we just give up altogether and we become laissez-faire and liberal in our beliefs, and it leads people in the wrong direction. See, the difference between judging and condemning is major. In this scripture, the the Greek word actually means it carries a connotation of condemnation. And so what Jesus is not saying is that there's no place for verbal rebuke or measures. Matthew 18 also says that if there's an issue with your brother, it goes before the, the church to be judged. And so the difference between judging and condemning is this. You judge an action or behavior based on a standard, but you condemn a person. And the difference is this, in, in, in practicum. It is okay to, to, for me to, in my household to judge the behavior of my kids. It's okay for me to judge an action. It is not okay for me to condemn my kids. And to condemn means I dismiss them, I don't want them. See, when you're a judge and you condemn somebody, it means you remove them from a status or a place or position in your life. You remove them from functioning in a relationship with you. And condemnation is what is really crept into the church when it's become all the division, is when somebody disagrees with us or we disagree with somebody else, we count them or cast them off. That is a judgmental critical spirit. See, when you judge an action or you judge behavior, it's like the Olympics. Remember the old days when, when the judges would hold up a sign, like a 10.2 or a 9.5 or an 8.6, and the Russian judge would be like a 2.5. Remember those good old days? Like they're judging the gymnast or the, or the dive based on a status. See, Jesus here is saying that you, you, can, you can judge some moral actions based on a standard of God's word, not on your opinion, but on God's word. But condemnation is like when you go before a judge and he condemns you guilty and removes you from society and puts you in jail or prison to remove you from. That's condemnation. And Jesus practiced judgment, but he never practiced condemnation. In John three sixteen, we know me, all of us can quote the first part, but listen to it in its context. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. See, you can't condemn somebody who's already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the son of the only God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil jesus didn't have to condemn everybody because we're already condemned we just didn't know we were condemned so jesus brought the light to shine on our works and our behaviors and actions so then they could be judged by the light so then we could be relieved of the condemnation you look at the woman at the at the well he meets with her he's like yeah go get your husband you don't know the story. It's John chapter four. He, he runs this woman to the well. And he's like, give me a cup of water. And she's like, well, you know, you're not supposed to be talking to me. He said, no, listen, woman, give me a cup of water. Go get your husband. Which I Do not talk like that to your wife or any other woman. I promise you. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. And the man you're with now is not your husband. So he calls her out for being married multiple times, living in, in adultery, fornicating, all these things. He calls her out, but he doesn't condemn her. See, the difference is when you judge somebody for a a good purpose, you're trying to get them to see something from a different angle so you can deliver them from what they're being held on to. So he calls her out for infidelity, but then he gives her living water to cure her of that, to set her up. Then she goes from being an adulteress to a minister within moments. But see, condemnation would call her out and say, you're an adulterer, you're a fornicator, and they would leave her at that spot. That is a judgmental, critical spirit. The spirit behind what Jesus is talking about here is the one we see at, at like the Westboro Baptist people out in Oklahoma that, that protest soldiers' funerals and, and are extremely anti-homosexual. Jesus is not anti-anything. He's pro-Jesus. And Jesus delivers you from whatever everyone says is anti, but in order to get there, he judges the action so he can save the person. It's like going to a good doctor. How many of you have been to a good doctor? Raise your hand. Nobody? Okay, that's good. That's really good. How many of you have been to a bad doctor? Raise your hand. Oh, now all of you want to raise your hand. Okay. So this is what, to me, like, if this is a situation, judgment is like diagnosis, right? So in order for us to get the healing we need or or the victory we need, you have to have a diagnosis before you can actually have a cure. So if you go to a doctor and the doctor has really bad side manner, And he tells you, hey, you know what, you're sick, and he just leaves. Right? Or he says, hey, you're right, you got cancer, and then he just leaves. Or he says, hey, you just have a disease, and then he just leaves. What kind of doctor would give you the diagnosis but not the cure? In the same way, if you go to the doctor, he says, hey, listen, you got cancer, but here's a plan of treatment. We're going to get you on a path to recovery and get you healed. He judged you the same way, but he gave you a way or solution to get out of your judgment. See, we are so caught up with the bedside manner of feelings that we'd rather go to a doctor who tells us you're fine, even though you're dying and lets you die, than go to a doctor who says, guess what? You may need to lose a little bit of weight, but if you do, you may live a little bit longer. See, judgment judges the actions, but it brings a solution. That's and that's what Jesus is trying to say here. He's saying, listen, there's a problem with you if you're okay. There's two things I think that he's really trying to teach us here. One is this. We should tremble at thinking we can elevate ourselves to the, to the throne of judging the world or judging our neighbor. Or judging our spouse, or judging. We should tremble. That is such a high calling. We should tremble. But the other thing I think Jesus is trying to teach here is this, because he gets down into the room. We should have a desire to get the logs out of our own eyes so we can help our brothers and sisters get the sawdust and specks out of theirs. What good does it do if I have a log of mine, you have a speck in your eye? No good. But if I can remove the log from my own eye, I can help you get the speck out of your eye. And now we can all see clearly and do what God has called us to do. I think those are the two things Jesus is trying to say here. So the main point and first point is this. Be cautious and judge at your own risk. Like we are at the beach. Have you ever seen the sign, swim at your own risk? Right? They're saying you're allowed to swim. (laughs) Boy, but there's sharks in there. You better be careful. Hey, you can swim, but there ain't no lifeguard on duty. Hey, you can swim, but there's some jellyfish. There. You can swim, you can enter at your own risk. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say with judge. You can, you can judge, you just better be very careful. Because he says, with the judgment you use, it'll be measured back to you. Actually, some people equate this to Luke chapter 6 where it says, pressed down, and running over in the same way. They kind of equate these two together. And so we, we can judge actions, but we have to be very careful, very careful, because judging people's actions actually can be counterproductive to who we're trying to be. And so a couple of things I think Jesus is trying to teach through being cautious is, one, judging can quickly turn to self-righteousness. When you start thinking that you can judge this person, this person, what happens is you forget about your own stuff. You're so busy being the judge of culture and politics and everything else. Now you are the self-righteous judge and king and executioner of everybody else. And it is very easy to get there. You think about some of the more fundamentalist denominations. They all start on on a good note. They all start trying to protect truth or maintain truth or hold up a standard But as time moves on, they keep elevating the standard and judging everybody else to a standard that no one can keep. And all of a sudden, it becomes self-righteous depending on their own. And so here's some some symptoms that maybe your friend may be a little self-righteous. Because I know none of y'all are self-righteous. If you are more enraged at someone else's sin than you are your own, you are self-righteous. If you're more frustrated by the speck in somebody else's eye and TV... Then you are the log in your own eye in your own home, you are self-righteous. If you refuse to receive criticism or accountability, you are self-righteous. If you write someone off as hopeless, but you still have hope, you are self-righteous. If you cut off those who disagree with you, you are self-righteous. And it is so easy once you start judging other people to move into this place where you set your throne up to look down on everybody else. But number two part of this, judging grieves the Holy Spirit. Talk about this Sermon on the Mount is God's manifesto. This is what it looks like to live in the realm of the ungrieved Holy Spirit. And judging really grieves the Holy Spirit. And, and here's why. Holy Spirit has two main voices, comfort and conviction. Everybody say comfort. Now say Conviction. We know this in John 14-16, through 16, two main voices. He convicts the world of sin and the church of righteousness, and he brings comfort. So there's two voices. Whenever somebody is going through something in life, the Holy Spirit's trying to communicate one of those two voices. right? Somebody going through a difficult season in life, maybe their marriage is falling apart, or maybe they hit a, a season of, of sin, and the Holy Spirit's either trying to comfort them or bring conviction. right? And so the problem is, when we try to help other people, sometimes we disrupt the voice or the move of the Holy Spirit in their life. What that means is maybe, maybe a woman's going through a tough season. Maybe her husband beat her. He left her. She's by herself. And she's, she's just grasping for life and hope and love. And you come. The Holy Spirit's trying to comfort her in this season. you show up and you're like, oh, don't you know what the Word of God says? Don't you know this? Don't you know that? And you begin to bring conviction in her life. You disrupt the move of comfort through the Holy Spirit in her life. But in the same way, maybe there's somebody going through a season, and they're going through that season because of intentional sin, and they keep stumbling. It's producing death in their life and consequences, and the Holy Spirit's trying to bring conviction so they'll repent, and they'll have a new life in him through repentance and faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's trying to convict them, and you show up you go, like, oh, God loves you. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you in your You just keep on doing it. It's not about what you do and how you live. It's just about your relationship with Jesus. Da-da. What did you just do? In the voice of comfort, you just disrupted the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we operate in a judgmental spirit, we always bring conviction, even when the Holy Spirit's trying to bring comfort. And that grieves the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. But it also always is almost always counterproductive. We try to judge other people because we want to help them. We want to change them. Saying, you know, I'll just tell them the truth. When I tell them the truth, it's going to fix them. You know what I've learned after preaching for almost 18 years? Yelling and screaming at people, don't fix them. Preaching at them, don't fix them. Tell them they're wrong, don't fix them. And what starts out good is I'm, I'm trying to help them, trying to change them. Let me tell you something. You can't change anybody. Think about it. You can't even change yourself. Like, think about the things you've been dealing with for years. You've been trying to fix you. I'm going to try better. We know this because New Year's Day, we all have these what? New Year's resolutions to do what? Change ourselves. How many of us in July have finished any of our resolutions? None of us. So if you can't change you, I promise you, you can't change anybody else. And what happens is when you think you can and you begin to operate in judgment, it's actually counterproductive, and it pushes them farther into what they're doing and hardens their hearts and produces the opposite effect. But it also judging is a very dangerous thing. It's like a, it's like a double-edged sword that you begin to, to bring it to try to cut some out of somebody else's life, and all of a sudden you see that joker coming back at you. That's what Jesus says. You better be careful. Judge not lest you be judged. He's saying, when you begin to judge other people, guess what? They're going to judge you back. Even at the end, he says, if you cast these pearls towards swine, guess what? They're going to trample you underfoot. I believe, this is my personal opinion. This is not scriptural. This is my personal opinion. I've had people on the homosexual agenda for a couple years tell me, well, it's different with the homosexual agenda. It's a political movement. It's this. And here's my answer. The church for so many years since many people in the church in the 70s and 80s didn't deal with homosexuality, it was an easy sin to judge. And this is what I'm going to say. Judging is dangerous because we always judge other people's sins we don't deal with. Because we don't want to judge the sins we do deal with. And what happens is the church for, for decades was judging the homosexuals and judge anti-this and anti-that. And what's happened is now it's turned back and the homosexual community is like, ha-ha. Oh, y'all, y'all judged us. Let's start judging y'all. And now we call that deconstruction. We call Look at these moral failures in the church. Look, look, look at what the church is not doing. Look at what the church is doing. Look, the church is more involved in politics than it is sharing the gospel. What has happened is the double-edged sword of the judgmental critical spirit has now turned back on the church, and we're starting to feel the birth pains of that. It's the same concept of, you know, when you, before you had kids, you started talking, man, when I raise kids, I, I ain't going to let my kid talk to me like that at Walmart. I ain't going to do that. Man, I have teenagers. I'm not going to let them do that. I'm and then you have kids, you're like, Shh, I was stupid. <laughs> right? Because we never judge the things we do. So when you, when you judge something, this, this is what I think is a principle. Whatever you judge in others is what you will deal with in the future. When you start judging, I, I've seen this. People that were very, whatever it may be, they're very anti-homosexuality, right? I'm not saying it in a truth and, and lie type of way. I'm talking about just being jerks. 20 years later, guess who's dealing with homosexuality? Their kids. When you start judging other people because you don't deal with it, at some point, be very careful because at some point, you may actually deal with that same thing as well. So we can judge you just better be cautious and judge at your own risk. But number two, use the mirror more than use the magnifying glass. Use the mirror more than use the magnifying glass. What's he say? Take the log out of your own eye before you start looking at the specks in other people's eyes. What he's saying is, some of us we love to magnify other people's junk. We love to go through other people's lives and look for. Trouble, sin, temptation, issues. I'll be honest, there's ministries. I could name them right now. Their whole ministry is to hold up a magnifying glass that everybody else's ministry is trying to see where doctrinal errors and everything else may be. They're just looking for this and looking for that. Some of you may have had that mom or dad. They look like they were just looking at your life continually with a magnifying glass. Some of you have been in churches. It's like the pastor and the team just continue looking at your life through a magnifying glass what happens is when you look through a magnifying glass, this is what happens. You magnify a speck to become a log in somebody else's life. But when they're looking at you, what's it do? It makes your life look bigger. What is happening, when you use a magnifying glass to judge the people, you end up exalting yourself. What's the Bible say? To magnify the Lord, O my soul. And when you begin having to magnify the Lord, you're actually magnifying yourself to the people you're judging, which is self-righteousness. And so before you use the magnifying glass, just get the mirror out, and you need to start looking at yourself more than you look at other people. Like you need to examine your own soul, your own life, your own house, your own marriage, your own kids, your own finances, your own morals, your own everything. You need to look at yourself because he says, look at yourself. Remove the log from your own eye first, then take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's saying, don't, he's not saying don't remove the spec. He's just saying before you try to operate on somebody else, make sure your eyesight is really good. Right? I don't know about you, but uh, RJ, in, in basketball this past year, I'm, no lie, every joke aside, there was an official that had on the world's thickest eyeglasses. So no matter what he did, it was like, he ain't see that. That ain't the right, right? Because in the same way, the church has had that same thing. We've been so busy looking at everybody else, we haven't been looking at our own foundations. We've been so busy judging the world, we haven't been judging ourselves. And the point of the scripture is not to stop judging. The point of the scripture is that both parties end up having clearer vision. The point of the scripture is that my eye is healed and your eye is healed and we can all walk together in peace and love and harmony. He says this in Galatians. He says, Brothers and sisters, if a person gets trapped by wrongdoing, those of you who are spiritual should help that person turn away from wrongdoing. But do it in a gentle way. And at the same time, watch yourself so that you also aren't tempted. Right? What's interesting is you know Jesus' dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. So he's using carpentry language to illustrate this self-righteous position. And the word plank there is beam. It's actually the main beam in a house that would hold up the entire roof. Huge, like seven foot, eight by eight board. But it's also the same word they use for battering ram. And this is where I want to hit. When somebody's going to do surgery on my eye, I want them to use a fine tooth scalpel not a battering ram. And some of you need to hear this. The truth should be more like a scalpel than a battering ram. And we've lived too long. What I see now in social media, what I see now on every on blogs and everything else and videos is we're trying to use the truth to batter through culture and to beat down people, to get them to submit to what we think should be happening rather than using the truth as a scalpel to remove the things out of people's lives that are holding them back and holding them down. I think that is what Jesus is trying to say here. You don't have to stop, but make sure you have the right tool to use to get to where you're trying to go. And last but not least, Jesus has this weird line. He says, "Listen, don't cast your pearls before swine." All right. So, how did this go from "don't judge" to then a carpentry lesson and then to a farming lesson? Like Jesus, could you imagine? what Jesus is teaching? Like what's he, what pearls, swine, like pigs. With lipstick, what's this dude talking about? And he says, don't give what is holy to that which is unholy. And this is what I think for me, for us as a a people, is the number one thing. Is what he's saying is this. Judgment is a very holy thing. Why would you waste the truth and the accountability of God's word on people that are never going to receive it? Why would you cast the beauty of holy accountability to those who aren't even trying to be holy? There's lots of ways to look at that, but, but here's what he's really nailing down. Is that when you look at what Jesus preached and what he taught, this is the example and the model he gave us. He gave us a message of grace to the world. The people in the world, the Samaritan woman, Grace. The demoniac, grace; the one with the issue of blood, grace; all these, the thief on the cross, grace. He gave a message of grace to the world, and he gave a message of judgment to the church. Pharisees, judgment; righteous people, judgment; religious people, judgment; scribes, judgment. So it's these two messages. Well, why would that be, Pastor? John three sixteen through eighteen, the world is already condemned. Why would you try to condemn people who are already condemned? They don't need condemnation. They don't need judgment. They need a way out. And grace is what makes a way out. But then why judgment for the church is because they know the standard. I used to tell people when I was an atheist, I had somebody, I had people try to witness to me with battering rams. Oh, don't you know you're going to hell? I'm like, huh, I don't believe in hell. That didn't work. Oh, don't you know, this verse says this, this verse. And what they're trying to do, I said, listen. I don't have to hold your standard. I'm not part of your belief system. Those standards don't apply to me. See, what happens is you don't bring judgment to people that don't have the standard to be judged by. If they don't have the standard, all you're having is a critical spirit of their lifestyle. So Jesus brought grace to bring people in to the standard. You don't bring the standard to people in order to bring them into grace. And if somebody can get that, it will go a long way. You don't bring the standard to get people to grace. You bring grace to get people into the standard. <laughs> Judgment be- begins in the house of the Lord. It says this, two verses, quick. 1 Peter 4 17, for it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God, and it begins with us. What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? Then in 1 Corinthians 5, he says this, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, so purge the evil person from among you. See, we have to realize our job as the body of Christ is to judge ourselves so we remove any sin so we can be a spotless and unblemished bride. We're to be blameless. When Jesus comes back, we want our church, the church, to be white and spotless and pure. We don't have time to be judging outsiders. Our job with outsiders is to share the good news of Jesus Christ while we keep self-examining ourselves to make sure we're living up to the standard we're actually preaching. What that means is when I go and I judge the world, I'm trying to use a standard they don't believe in, so it's like me casting the beauty of God's truth right into the pigsty. They're not going to appreciate it. They're not going to value it. They're not going to receive it. But if I go to the pigsty and I'm like, "Hey, I can get you cleaned up." If I go to the pigsty and hey, I can wash you. Hey, I can get you to a place where there's better food. Kind of like you did with the woman at the well. I can get you to water that's living water. You'll never thirst again. But if you come to the pigsty, you stinky pig. Why are you so nasty? Don't don't you know you're not supposed to be living like that? Don't you know that that doesn't work? And that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. But if there's a believer who's caught up in transgression, our job is to bring truth to get them to move back into the standard of Jesus. Proverbs 23, 9 says, Do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. Proverbs 9 says, Do not rebuke a mocker, for he will hate you. Why? We're in a day and age where the world does not care about your belief system. And so when there, we laugh on staff. There's been a guy who's been like, sliding up on my social media and all this stuff for the last couple of weeks. And the reason is he hates the standard I try to live up to. He hates the standard I preach. If I try to engage with somebody who's a rebuker or a mocker, guess who gets hurt? Both of us. If I step away and say, I'm going to hold these pearls back for somebody who will value them, it makes a world of difference. Here's what William Barclay said. He said, it is often impossible To talk to some people about Jesus. Their insensitiveness, their moral blindness, their intellectual pride, and their cynical mockery may make them impervious to words about Christ. But it is always possible to show men Christ. And the weakness of the church lies not in lack of Christian arguments, but in lack of Christian lives. We are called to bring grace to the world in judgment to the house of God. And this is my prayer for us, is that we would learn to use the mirror better than the magnifying glass. Do we maintain truth? Absolutely. Do we preach truth? Absolutely. Do we maintain standards? Absolutely. But we start with ourselves. Do we, do we judge? Yes, we judge behaviors and actions. We hold people accountable, their standards, but we're not going to walk in a critical, judgmental spirit. We're gonna be looking and removing the logs from our own eyes so we can get the specks of those people's eyes that are blinded to the truth because of the sawdust in their eyes. That's my prayer for us. That's my you know some of the stats right now. No one really in America really likes church. They think Christians are bigots and racist and misogynist, they think all we care about is politics. And the reason why is we've been so busy judging the world, we haven't been spreading the gospel. And it's time to get back to the good news rather than Fox News and CNN News and MSNBC News and every other type of news. There's a good news that brings joy to all people. And it's that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just real quick. Just before we leave, I'm just ask one quick question just before we leave, and I'm going to pray over everybody. If you said you came in the house today, the Holy Spirit has been working on you. Maybe it's been that voice of conviction we talked about. Maybe he's been pointing out maybe some sin in your life. Maybe he's been calling you out of a situation into a higher standard. Maybe he's just calling you to him. He's saying, I, I, he said, today's the day. I, I just want a fresh start in Jesus. I want a new life in him. I've been doing some things and living certain ways. I just, I just need a, a fresh start. That fresh start only happens in Jesus. It doesn't happen from trying harder. It doesn't happen by resolutions. It starts simply by saying yes to Jesus, repenting of where you're at and what you're doing and turning to him and letting him have your life and to give you something better and something new. That's you. I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward. That's you. I just want you to simply raise your hand up real quick. Thank you. Anybody else? Put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But after we dismiss, if you would just do me a favor, stop by Connection Point. Let them know, hey, I pray with Pastor. We want to get you some, some tools, some resources, some gifts just to say, hey, we're walking with you. We're not, it's not a one-time thing. This is a journey. We're going to walk with you. But, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the grace of the gospel, the grace that reached into the world and, and saved every single one of us. And Father, I just pray that grace would be our motivation, would be our gratitude, would be our humility to not elevate ourselves to judges, but to walk out truth and grace in fullness, to maintain the standards of righteousness and holiness, to maintain the standards of of the gospel, but at the same time, judging ourselves first and foremost, getting the logs out of our own eyes, so, we can help all those people broken around us remove the specks of sawdust from their eyes. So, Father, we thank you for the renewal of grace, the empowerment of grace, and the saving grace in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. If you would stand here.